Hello, movie lovers. Welcome home. My name is Amy Henserling, and you're listening to Watch This List. Today's very special guest is my dear friend, Zach Anderson, who is going to be discussing his top five favorite 70s art house erotic horror picks. I'm very excited to have Zach on my podcast. Zach, uh, please tell the good folks that are listening a little bit about yourself and also why this topic stuck out to you. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I feel like I'm a guy who wears a lot of hats. So like I'm interested in photography. Uh, I've worked on like four or five democratic campaigns so far. So I work in a lot of political activism. I also like to party a lot in Hollywood. So that's pretty cool. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that about sums me up, I guess, in a nutshell. I don't know. That's usually what I like to do with my life anyway. But I'm also, I've got a, like a penchant for just kind of like weird, kind of just like esoteric movies. Just I like to just kind of like open up the vault and kind of just find like weird, like sort of like uh, hard to find shit. Because I feel like a lot of the time, just especially with like more popular like authors or writers or like filmmakers, it's really easy to kind of go somewhere and they're just very accessible. Like you can kind of like go out and find these things very easily without having to um, put a lot of work into it, I guess. Uh, so yeah, I just kind of appreciate stuff that's on the fringier side, usually because it's willing to tackle more like um, like challenging or controversial subject matter. Uh, kind of like gives you a more diverse like realm of thought to explore, like different worldviews. So yeah, it's just like um, that, that sums it up, I guess. So. <laughs> well, when I first when I first asked Zach what he wanted to d- discuss, he said he gave me the list of the five films that he picked, none of which I had ever heard of and sounded horrifying. So it is it is going to be a, a fun little episode today. I'm excited to be talking about movies that I believe, I, I actually, now that I have seen them, I know for a fact that I would not have otherwise have watched. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Zach did not have a ranking order for his five because he hates ranking. That shit's stupid. <laughs> yes. So his five, normally I would say rank them in order of importance. We'd finish at number one, which would be the person's favorite. Zach, we're going to do them in good old fashioned alphabetical order. Chronologically, they're all within the same time frame anyway. So that doesn't really make any sense to do. So so number five, starting with the letter D, Daughters of Darkness, double D. From 1971, it's a Belgian film by Harry Kumel, a vampire flick. Zach, give us some background into this luscious, zany world. So yeah, no, I love Daughters of Darkness. Daughters of Darkness is just like one of my favorite movies, uh, period. Like, uh, definitely glam meets gothic. Like, I think I was talking with Amy about this before. The whole thing is just kind of just very sort of, uh, there's a huge emphasis on luxurious decadence. So there's, like, all these, like, sweeping shots of, like, long haul, like, uh, hotel corridors. Um, Everyone's just kind of just dressed really glamorously and just kind of, like, decadently. So there's definitely, like, a huge uh, focus on image or at least, like, um, like, the production design at least. But uh, what I always appreciated about Daughters of Darkness was basically how it's able to like kind of like tackle like a lot of like heady subject matter. Like 
because it is a vampire movie at the end of the day and i appreciate the genre trappings but it is trying to tackle a lot of like headier subject matter as well uh without getting into spoilers or anything it kind of goes into kind of like a sadomasochistic sex like goes into kind of like um like multiple partners things it goes into just like a lot uh especially with like the main character explores like a very interesting relationship that i don't want to spoil with a character called mother uh but yeah it's kind of like willing to tackle all these like heady ideas um that are usually kind of like more explored in like academic settings but also kind of like very like much embrace the uh the genre trappings of like gothic fiction and gothic horror like i think at one point like there's a character who literally just like looks into frame and talks about how just like oh like ghouls and vampires and all this stuff like that but i think it's because it's kind of just being like hey like we are acknowledging all of this in a very like shameless way which i really like deeply respect Yes, and this this also stars the lady who's in the last year at Marion Bad. I want to get the pronunciation. Is correct. that? Is, I didn't know she was in that. Okay, yeah. actually, I've never seen that, but I've heard good things. Oh no, so. not from me. De- <laughs> Delphine Syrig. Syrig. Yeah, Delphine Syrig. Yes. She, yeah. She was in that as well. That's that's what I knew her from. So it was mm-hmm. nice. It was nice to see her in color. Actually, because she's she's stunning, stunning. In, in in Daughters of Darkness, and really, truthfully, steals the show in a lot of different ways. So, I I also want to know uh, how you stumbled upon this, and then how this kind of how Daughters of Darkness particularly informs your aesthetic and your and your mm. visual preferences. No, a hundred percent. Yeah, I don't even remember how I came across it. I think I was just going through a list of like, um, I was trying to find movies that where you could watch it in like an art house and a grind house. You could probably get a good reaction out of both crowds. So I kind of like fell across it and I hadn't heard of it before. I know like there is like a whole like subgenre in like 70s like exploitation movies with like lesbian vampire movies. Like I think Roman Polanski did lesbian vampire movie. There's movies like Twins of Evil. There's like a very long history of mostly just kind of like grindhouse movies that address this. And what I'd heard is this was sort of like the most artfully done or the most tastefully done that wasn't trying to just be like, um, like exploitative, but more so kind of um, uh, like you still have the whole maximalism of um, just like a lot of like stuff, like bursting at the seams, like everything's just very over the top and intense. I guess I like stumbled across it just by mistake, was surprised by how much I loved it. And what was your question again? <laughs> how, how it how it makes how it changed the way that you see things or or kind of honed you in on your pre- on your style of what you what you like in movies in general. It's a huge influence for sure because like I've always really appreciated the whole uh, just it's able to combine like a lot of different like schools of thought. So it's kind of it has the romantic element going for it. Um, with all the, again, like the aforementioned sort of like glamorous luxury, kind of like very surface level image based stuff. It's able to balance that with a lot of like the uh, gothic trappings and kind of like gothic horror conventions, but in a way that feels like it's kind of like, oh, I'm going to embrace these without feeling like self-conscious about being a genre movie. Um, And it also kind of like tackles a lot of like heady, like academic stuff. Like, you know, what is desire? Like it's usually comes from a lack, like, um it's referenced in a lot of like academic texts too like i think sexual persona by a uh, camille paglia 
Um, I think Zizek has talked about in the past before too, but it's trying to address like a lot of just um, like uh, psychosexual political content. So in a way, like a, a common criticism of the film might be like, oh, it's style over substance, but really it, um, because you could look at it as a vampire movie. You could just like view it primarily as a vampire movie, still get a lot out of it as a like entertaining piece of work. But there is a lot of like psychosexual like elements too that it's like asking you to really kind of like acknowledge and explore and kind of like trying to develop a vocabulary for these sorts of things without um I don't know, resorting to kind of just like kish or just like just being like, oh, this is kind of like grotesque and kind of misses the point of what you're trying to talk about. So it talks about sexuality in a really powerful way, but also in a way that doesn't feel it feels like maximalistic, but not subdued, but also not to the point of just kind of like garish and excessive, which is what I appreciate about the movie. Yes. And it, and there are, we have talked about this initially when, after I first saw it, that really I consider this more of an atmospheric vibe film mm-hmm. than I do plot driven narrative. It, it, it has substantial amount of, this happens, this happens, this happens, and it follows it logically. There's a lot going on, but then at the same time, if you're not really paying strict attention to it, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because the 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 movement of it and everything just kind of washes over you and you get this this kind of sense mm-hmm. of dread. Um but I think there's a there's great catharsis in there as well, too. It's it's got a it's got a really nice climax. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to spoil the ending or anything, but damn, they really kind of rushed that last five minutes, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, it, it feels like it almost, like, was unfinished in a way because, like, it without giving anything away, there's a lot going on up to the last 10-minute point, or mm-hmm. to the, like, up to the last, like, 10-minute mark, I guess I should say. Uh, and it feels like you're about to get this whole other, like, the second half of the third act or something, and then it just really kind of, like, abruptly ends just like bam bam have a nice day you know what i'm talking about wham bam thank you ma'am have a nice Mm -hmm. day there you Mm -hmm. go (laughs) um but But it it has a nice it has just a a nice sort of like you said classy it feels it i haven't done this before but i would imagine like you know it's like got this high-end escort kind of vibe i guess but I, when I think of it, I do think of it as this like this sort of like glamour movie that's dressed up with like gothic elements or trappings, and how I just think it's really cool that I can balance being in an entertaining genre movie and can be read on that surface level like reading of the film, but then you have all this other stuff about just like like again just kind of addressing just like oh like sadomasochistic sex or just like uh like partner swapping or just in, or like bisexuality is like a huge element of it and like the struggle with bisexuality, which is like really compelling. So it's got all of these layers to it and it kind of leaves the door for you to engage with those elements on any level. Like it's never like, oh, you have to like, it's never hitting you over the face with any of its themes. Uh, if anything, it wants you to enjoy this on a surface level reading and then kind of leave the door open where it's just like, if you want to approach it from the whole like Lacanian, like psychoanalytic frame of work, like, you can do that. Like that level's there for you to explore, but it's not asking for you to be like, this is the only way you can read it. Um, I think that's, that's really interesting how it manages to be so like dynamic and multi-layered 
without asking like too much of the viewer or kind of spelling it out to the point uh, where it doesn't become fun to discuss because then it's just kind of like all said outright, you know? Yes. And, and I think that if Zach hasn't sold you on a cerebral level, on a, on a visual level, everybody is pretty damn fine. And especially our, our lead vampire vampiress. I don't even know how you would something like that. It. Yeah. She's, she's deep quite, smoky voice. <laughs> oh yeah. And she's got like a silver sparkly dress at one point, the mm-hmm. costume design and every, everything that you see is just, it's immaculately shot. Just like production design, just really fucking top notch. Like everything shot in this very sort of like gauzy, soft lighting way where everything kind of just looks like magnificent and shimmering. And like it basically almost feels like a horror movie made by like by like a Vogue photographer. I think that's like my big appeal to it too. I'm just like, oh, it's just like so beautiful and gorgeous, but also just kind of like it, it touches at a lot of like seedier elements. So I guess it kind of balances that whole like uh it's just like it's just yeah it, it's a huge influence for sure. I can't even quite put my tongue on it what exactly is the appeal to it, but there's a there's definitely a very sort of definitive aesthetic statement being made uh that I really deeply appreciate and it's something it's a type of movie that I usually don't rewatch movies too often, but I can rewatch like Daughters of Darkness on like almost any given day and think hmm there's just something here that like taps into a very sort of like element of myself that I want to kind of like capture as well. And like, if I ever go on to do creative work like that, I guess it's big influence. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the word shimmering. I think shimmering is, it's a weird, it's a strange word to use for horror in that genre, but I think that that is apt and, and I can see that sort of eye that you have in your photography in photographs that you've taken of other people that, that you're kind of striving for that allure. It's kind of captivating and chanting, but at the same time dangerous. And it's like, yeah, it's like dark and seductive, but in like a really beautiful kind of like, you know, like cares, like it's, I don't know. I feel like that's way like more compelling than trying to like, and a lot more honest too, than trying to depict like evil or like the nature of evil and people as this sort of thing that's sort of just like gruesome and barbaric because like oftentimes I feel that uh, portraying it like that just feels like a more honest portrayal because that kind of gives you the stakes of like what's involved and doesn't downplay that. Like, I don't know. Th- there's a lot there kind of going back to the psychoanalytic Thing, I guess like that's really interesting to me well and you could contrast this really well with uh one of the movies that you chose later where this shows you darkness or danger in in a way that kind of puts a spell on you whereas one of your later picks uh shows you like depravity in a very unappealing way that you wouldn't want mm-hmm. to participate in Right. It's kind of loony. So I think that this is like. I think I know which one you're referring to, too. So, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> this is more, this is like dessert devil sort of thing. Like, this is like. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. The whole thing is supposed to kind of just be like totally 
uh, it's like a fever dream. Like everything's just sort of like follows this dream logic. Like it's definitely not trying to do the whole like, I mean, there is plot because like, I think it actually is pretty fast paced. Like there's no like fat on, it's very lean. Everything has a like quick forward momentum to it. But no, I feel like it definitely like enjoys kind of lingering on like the the elegance and the beauty and like how like uh, those are terms you wouldn't necessarily associate with like evil or devilish, but how like uh, to not characterize those things as, ha- as having something in common just seems like naive or like disingenuous. Yes, point taken. So Darters of Darkness, see it. It's on streaming on the Criterion channel, which is how I watched it, but it's also for rent on Amazon. If you don't have the CC, which you should all have, including you, Zach, uh, a subscription to, but that is Zach's number five. Number four, we get into uh, Bonkersville with Lucifer Rising by directed by Kenneth Anger and <laughs> Uh, briefly, briefly, I would like Zach to give us some context before actually telling us what he personally loves about the film and what he thinks the the film is saying. For sure. For sure. Uh, Lucifer Rising is from a, a series of films called a guy named Kenneth Anger. And he's kind of an interesting filmmaker in the sense that he started out as a very popular sort of like uh, like gay, like LGBT filmmaker in California with movies like uh, Fireworks and uh, Scorpio Rising. So that was how he predominantly came to sort of like having a, a name, I guess, in the film industry to begin with, because uh, those films, I guess, were really popular in like a art gallery or art house style places where they would play in the background. So, you know, maybe like some comparison point to Andy Warhol as well. It's kind of like a good starting off point. But yeah, kind of like a guy who's like very much entrenched in the art house world of like the 60s and 70s of California. Kenneth Anger starts out as a gay filmmaker, wants to sort of broaden that out, just be like, okay, cool. This isn't like the predominant like identity that I have or like want to be recognized as having. Like I'm much more interested in like occultism, Aleister Crowley, Thelema, like all the sort of just like very sort of esoteric, like secret society stuff. So it's just like, okay, like, I want to like make projects that are more aligned with my like creative personal vision or output. So he eventually tried to get Lucifer rising off the ground. It kind of fell apart. They kind of shot here and there. All the footage was kind of like jumbled. You can go into that as much as you like. The briefer version of that is it took Kenneth Anger 15 years for this film to get made because there were so many evolving different versions of it. And one version eventually became Invocation of My Demon Brother, which was footage that was shot for Lucifer Rising, but eventually had to become its own separate project because I don't think he had the money to go to Egypt, which is what he wanted to do to film in like all these like places that are typically associated with like what he was trying to convey. So he was able to like eventually put out Invocation of My Demon Brother, which was scored by Mick Jagger. So it's like, okay, like the project's basically a proto version of this but I was still able to release it with footage I had shot for that project. And then um, like, you know, and Mick Jagger's doing the score. So that's how he's able to get like distribution for the project. Eventually he's able to get funding from like the British counselor, whatever of arts. And they're all just going off, just being like, Oh my God, did we just fund a Satanist film? Blah, blah, blah. And that's how we eventually got to what we have today where you have people like Marianne Faithful, who's like a huge, like sixties folk singer, like appears in Lucifer rising, uh, I think Jimmy Page actually does appear really briefly in it when they unveiled the uh, 
portrait of Aleister Crowley. But yeah, it's it's a very strange, weird film for sure with a making of that's probably even stranger and weirder and maybe more interesting than the film itself. Well, and this is a short film. This isn't like a feature length film. It's on YouTube. No. It's 29 minutes long. So you could, everybody, this is your easiest thing to watch and access out of all five uh, mm. that you have. But this one, I think the best way that you described this to me that kind of helped give context was to watch it as a music video, as mm. opposed to trying to find some sort of linear structure. There's a lot of symbolism in it. And there is this sense of, you don't really know what you're looking at and you feel like an outsider to it, but it, it is kind of enticing. But then at the same time, you're like, it's like, it, did I just put on the video for the ring? Am I going to die? In the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think um, there's a lot of imagery involved with it too. The reason Kenneth Anger is kind of smiled upon in a lot of avant-garde circles is because uh, he is trying to move past like the whole framework of like plot narrative character to begin with. Like, uh, so yeah, it is almost sort of like a proto like MTV music video thing. Right. Cause he's trying to push more so for a series of uh, images, uh, and uh, ideas being conceptualized through symbolism and music more so than like dialogue or characterization or anything like that. So uh, he is trying to push like the medium forward in a certain way. So I think that's really compelling. Yes, yeah, so there's there actually isn't any dialogue. It it actually is like no no dialogue video. like whatsoever. I think the closest they get to is some characters like moving his mouth in speech, but you don't hear what he's saying. It is the, what he's trying to communicate at the end of the day are basically sort of like literally like filmed rituals, like rituals within the um the religion of Thelema, and he's basically trying to like do them at spite uh at spites at sites that are um significant to occultism or to uh, Thelema or to like the, the idea or the notion of uh, the birthplace of religion in general. So like you think of like Egypt, Egypt has like a very strong association with like the creation of like mystical traditions, um, Stonehenge or like some Stonehenge adjacent like circle uh, that's also affiliated with sort of like, you know, like almost like prehistorical, just sort of like, uh, like, ancient like wisdom ancient mystery schools of like magic or whatever which are like concepts and ideas that are really big in those circles uh yeah so it's almost like a textbook or like a, a an introductory thing um to like occultism in general but it's trying to communicate all of this in a way that like you said where it feels like you do kind of have to be in the know to really even get a full appreciation of it because it feels like it's sort of like in like it's trying to like present like initiate initiate initiatory initiation related concepts uh that are associated like with their movement and everything and i guess like from my perspective like i'm not a practitioner of occultism but i do think on an anthropological level and on like an aesthetic level their imagery is very like rich and has this sort of like um like appeal or like draw to it where it's just like okay like you're like just like it's it's almost like looking at another culture and you're like an outsider in like studying that culture because it's presenting like a framework or a worldview or something that's totally totally like foreign to yourself but it's like interesting to sort of like uh study just being like okay like they believe this and that and like uh 
these are their traditions or like, I don't know, like you really sort of have to be like a, a bit of like a book nerd, I guess, to like really be into that sort of thing. But I think it's just fascinating to study just like other cultures in general, or even like sort of like esoteric cultures, because a lot of the time they hide behind the whole like, oh, we're like schools of mystery and secrecy. So we're not supposed to like tell just anybody about this kind of thing. So I think it's interesting to kind of like pull the veil back and see like what a lot of these groups believed, especially, you know, in a time like pre-internet, right? It's not like you can kind of like be like, oh, I have like a PDF copy of all of these like uh, rituals or something. You can kind of study it and kind of like glean like interesting ideas from it, even if you're not like practicing. Like just like even from like an art standpoint, you could like view a lot of their stuff as sort of like a like surrealist adjacent, you know what I mean? It, it's it, the, the imagery there is really fascinating and the structure there is really fascinating uh, as like a subject of study, I guess. And it's almost like in a way it's like watching a documentary because. A Capturing lot, a time and place for sure. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily feel staged, uh, be- especially since there's no dialogue. It's not scripted in that way. So it actually does feel like the director that anger is stumbling upon a site where these things are actually taking place in real time and then just happens to be shooting it. And then you've got the music in the background that's really disarming and uh, kind of bizarre. So there's that. And then what you were saying also reminded me of like pre-internet being the way that they kept these traditions alive was to have the rituals. So we're also witnessing something that we otherwise would not see because we weren't there at the time and things change when it's like when there were oral traditions, that storytelling used to be told in, you know, verbally out loud. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that they were written down. And then when it gets written down, it changes depending on what medium it's put through. So it is a little bit of a bizarre slice of history in a way mm-hmm. to watch this at all. No, absolutely. Cause like, I just feel like at the end of the day too, it is like you said, it's almost kind of like a living document of what was going on because like, uh, like the whole like new age thing going on was like definitely like very popular during like the sixties and seventies and like with like, you know, sort of like countercultural like hippie movement uh, what's fascinating to me, I guess, is like with guys like Kenneth Anger, you almost see like the darker side of that spirituality, I guess, or the darker side of that whole like, you know, new age, like uh, 60s kind of like um, spirituality, I guess, is because a lot of the times like people would kind of like try to go back into like more like a uh, mystical schools of thought and stuff. Uh, and it's just like really interesting because there's a lot to dig into there. And like you were saying, like, um, it's not like these rituals or whatever are like publicly accessible to begin with. Like they're meant to be obscure. They're meant to require like searching to like even understand like what they're trying to do. Uh, so it is fascinating in that sense because it does kind of like have like, um, if you follow the timeline, I guess it does have like a precedent where you, at some point you start getting into stuff that might be like pre like written word and stuff. And I think with those groups, it's always been the appeal there is sort of like, like, oh, these are schools of mystery and secrecy. And that's how, like, you know, you have the whole, like, secret society thing. That's how that, like, conceptualization or that idea has been able to, like, be popular throughout the years and stuff like that is because I think uh, the idea of exclusivity or just kind of just, like, very um, limited pools of, like, who's in the know is kind of an appealing to 
is appealing to people on almost like a human nature level, I guess. Yeah, it's got like a lot of like cool, like like beautiful surreal imagery that I think anyone can appreciate, like regardless of like how you feel about all the characters involved. Yes. So it, it, this is easy if you if you are intrigued by Zach's pitches here, check it out on YouTube. It is not very long. Thankfully, I saw it, and you <laughs> should too. Next up on Zach's top five seventies art house erotic horror list is Messiah of Evil, number three, directed by Willard Hewick and his wife, uh, actually, yes, Gloria Katz, which is an interesting story in itself because they also uh, were co-writers with George Lucas on American Graffiti. And also uh, helped write Temple of Doom. So this you, is... It's, you forgot their crowning achievement, though. Oh, you can go ahead and say that one. Uh, Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs> From the people who brought us Messiah of Evil comes Howard comes the Duck. Howard the Duck. Pretty so, impressive. Pre- pretty impressive. <laughs> pretty uh, versatile couple. And uh, Messiah of Evil, the worst thing about Mm. this was that the only version available to me for this was on Amazon Prime, and it is a a dreadful version. I almost actually stopped watching it. I I wish I'd known. I wish I'd known because I totally could have found you an HD copy because this is a movie worth watching in HD too. Yeah. Because it's similar to Daughters in that it just goes so, it's so like visually lush. It's <laughs> so good. For Amazon Prime, do not watch this on Amazon Prime. I was going to say, if you can find it any other way, I believe that there's a Blu-ray edition out there that you can get. I think it's by Code Red. But if you can find a better version, do not watch the Amazon one. We're telling you to watch this list, but like, don't watch it on there. because. It is very scummy uh, version, but I will say that the themes themselves translated the movie theater scene is is wild and uh, worth worth the ticket just for that, just for that one <laughs> that one crazy moment. But uh, Zach, give us a little bit of background on what Messiah of Evil even is. First of all. Probably one of the best titles of all time. I remember seeing the trailer for this. And if you haven't watched it, just watch the trailer for this because, like, it just is just no apologies, just totally batshit. It's so awesome. Um, honestly, if you're going to make comparison points, I would honestly say maybe something like if you enjoy, is it Carnival of? dreams or whatever the 60s horror movie is that the one no carnival of souls souls yeah if you've ever seen carnival of souls or like uh if you want sort of like a a stranger version of like a george a romero movie because it's almost kind of a zombie movie in a weird way uh this is a definitely good movie for you it almost has this sort of like lovecraftian thing because it's this like other like supernatural otherly horror that'll like drive you insane like uh, here, how about tell me your thoughts first? Actually, I mean, I'm curious because we haven't talked about this yet. Well, I was going to say one of the things that I was thinking about a lot was the long goodbye 
Alt by by Altman because it it's got this like uh kind of laid back narration going throughout where the person's kind of worried about the future and there's this intense paranoia but then it also kind of feels like like a surfer it, it has this very strange aimlessness about it or like you you really really don't know where anything's going and it could just go anywhere and it kind of takes its time and you're just introduced to these eccentric characters who may or may not be be dangerous and um all the while this girl is basically just looking for her missing father who's an artist and then reading like all these journal entries which end up being the narration um but that's what it reminded me of vibe wise i really kept thinking of the long goodbye or like even altman's images altman for sure though was in my mind see that's really interesting because i've i haven't heard too many people try to compare it to a noir thing but um you definitely have a point there because of all of the uh the voiceover work i think the long goodbye comparison might be kind of like apt because i guess they both have this sort of like uh like post california dream thing like it's it it depicts like you know beachside california but in a way that feels kind of like uh like scuzzy, like sort of like a like a paradise lost almost kind of thing, which is interesting. Uh, and yeah, definitely uh, light on the pl- or not light on the plot, but um, the emphasis is definitely not much there. Like Daughters of Darkness, I think probably you have more of um, you have more of like a starting off point for plot. It feels like it takes plot more seriously, but this is definitely something where, like you said, I think things just sort of happen, and mm-hmm. it wants you to just kind of go with it. Like I think of um. The scene where she's uh, looking for her dad and she enters an apartment and then that's where you're introduced I think to the Michael Greer character I think that's the actor's name uh, and like his like two like uh, like groupie girlfriends and he's interviewing like a like a homeless guy about like the apocalypse and he's just like oh come in and he's just like but shut the door and she's like oh have you seen my dad just kind of like that's the starting off point for the conversation and he's just like he's like I might have but shut the door and he's just like yeah it, it it sets it sets a very interesting like atmosphere heavy uh tone for sure it's just very like creepy and mesmerizing but in a way that feels like it's a uh, kind of throwing back to like weird fiction like again with like Lovecraft and everything with like you know the town with a secret and it's sort of this like supernatural thing that hasn't gotten out to the rest of the world. But like if the rest of the world knew, we'd all go insane from the madness of having discovered these like off-world entities, which in Lovecraft is like, you know, like these terrifying creatures. But in this movie, it's just zombies, which is right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I just recently saw uh, In the Mouth of Madness by john yeah. carpenter you want you want to talk about lovecraft right there you go <laughs> that's, that's what you're making me think of so that's a that's actually a perfect i'm glad i just watched that because that's a perfect comparison to this in terms of kind of dropping you in the middle of the street and being like good luck you know mm-hmm. you you're you kind of wandering around uh, a lot of people cite the supermarket scene as kind of the pivotal you know, the central thing that people reference when they talk about this movie. But uh, yeah, it kind of goes at this pace that makes you kind of feel like you're going crazy watching it too. And it's disorienting at least. 
almost feels like you're supposed to watch this like kind of high like i agree mm-hmm. like it's yeah. definitely like, like kind of like a like hazy like thing going on like i guess like um like if you enjoyed like what is it inherent vice right mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has a sort of similar, just kind of like hazy drifting from like sequence to sequence kind of thing going on. But still, it starts off kind of like this, you know, she's like a little PI vibe, like detective. That's why I thought of Noir, because it's kind of like she's she's looking for a missing person. So if we're we're already starting off from that trajectory, then it's like, okay, there has to be sort of a sci-fi element involved for it to be go off the rails here but at at the heart of it it is like where's my dad which is Mm. is just an interesting film a lot of people i think uh if you can't get like get on board the wavelength like if you're sober uh it's a little bit more inaccessible but uh for the for if you're like open and you're like yeah man whatever if you ride that wave I think it'll be something you enjoy. I agree. I agree. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's it's got like a very strong sense of atmosphere too, and you could say it's almost like a like John Carpenter because it almost feels like the fog in some ways, especially with the whole like you know local mystery thing with with a little bit of Dario Argento because you still have all the colored lights. You still have a lot of just like a lot of use of primary colors um yeah so it's it's like can't 70s camp meets art house meets like it's it's it fits totally with everything we've talked about so far and messiah of evils more fun than daughters i think daughters has a lot more going for it on like a like an intellectual level but messiah of evil is just like a really good like drive-in type of movie you know what i mean that is more so definitely trying to hone in on being like entertaining and kind of like um, almost disorienting in a dreamlike way. Uh, that's really c- kind of like schlocky and fun. It is, and and I recommend uh, checking it out on the best version that you possibly can because I think that that would amp it up, would have amped up my experience too. But it it is memorable and definitely in line with what we've discussed so far. Messiah of Evil, best title ever, metal. <laughs> best title top five for sure for sure so uh getting to number two which is two two and one are the ones that I, I could talk about forever um two is the devils by ken russell and i want to preface this by saying that the only other ken russell movie i've seen is Altered States. And Which I, is also great. I watched <laughs> Altered States as part of my William Hurt filmography obsession. I went through a period where I was trying to watch all of William Hurt's movies because I've been in love with him since broadcast news. So I watched Altered States, which is like the least William Hurt, William Hurt movie that he's ever done by like a long shot. Scarred me for life. I was like, Whoever this Ken Russell guy is, he can go jump off a cliff and die. I I never want to see anything again. So uh, please tell us about the devils. I'd like to start out by saying Altered States is a lot of fun. (laughs) Um, But yeah, the devils. The devils is really interesting. Uh, See, it's... 
it goes but the devils is most known by its reputation as being like one of the most controversial films ever made because of how it handles the subject of like religion and sexual repression and like the abuse of power that's like often found in these like very hierarchical um settings like the catholic church uh Personally speaking, it feels pretty tame compared to other stuff. I agree. Like, it really is not excessively sexual or excessively violent. I think it's more so um, it has to do with, like, kind of peeling back a lot of, like, um, like kind of going back to daughters, a lot of, like, psychosexual elements and a lot of just, like, um, stuff that I think is, like, held beneath the surface, like, held beneath the surface or it's, like... Um, Repression's a hell of a drug, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, and th- this but one, anyway. your la- your last two are non exploitation films in a in a sense too. I mean, these are both they both centered around not just sexual repression, but like from clergy, like from yeah. from priests and nuns, and in in the devils, Oliver Reed and Vanessa Redgrave give like tremendous performances. That's that's the only saving grace for me as far as just enjoyment was concerned. Was that I was like, well, the, the acting is very good, but <laughs> no, but Vanessa yeah. Redgrave, a hundred percent, like um, she is like she is the Delphine for this movie for sure. She steals the show. Like she's just like this like powerful magnetic force like anytime she's on screen and just like with all of the production design stuff like that being so like ornate and just very just uh expressive and just like really big it just kind of like amplifies like what you see as the film goes on with all of like the uh the sort of like religious frenzy hysteria thing going on it feels like you're watching like a like a pot of water boil until it just finally just like gets to this point where it just totally like explodes basically by the time you reach the end of it it just like he it some people will like criticize that it's one note and i entirely disagree because i feel like it starts off at a certain point of mania and just rises and rises and rises until it reaches this point that totally just bubbles over and like you just feel like you're in a frenzy like with these characters because of how like just like how like specific in like um microscopic it gets like with with the points of just like mania that get reached yeah and i and i think also uh it's actually got this like weird salem witch trial vibe as well like it reminded me of crucible actually uh Mm -hmm. like how everybody's accusing you know there's there's these accusations and then it's like trying to prove your innocence or trying to prove anything that has to do with a mixture of like the supernatural and like the religious part, but then also the political part, which is a whole thing of like Cardinal Richelieu and Louis, you know, the King and like they're conspiring. They want him out anyway. So there's, there's all these things besides just the sexual oppression and the nun angle, which is interesting in itself just to watch Vanessa Redgrave but there's like the political stance and, and what they're trying to do. And then um, the religious part that's kind of overarching the entire thing. So it's intense, but I don't think it's as shocking as it 
was at the time now. Agreed. Because this came out, I think, around like 71 or something like that. And like, I think there was already like this big like hysteria like going on with sort of like X-rated movies. Like I think A Clockwork Orange actually came out like a year later. And uh, a lot of what was going on is like, there's a lot of like blame in the media for these, like these violent movies are turning our kids just like hysterical. It's like, we can't let this get out to the general public. And it's the same like argument as like the Grand Theft Auto thing. You know what I mean? It's just like, because you like sort of like, uh, like, oh, like these like shocking, like sort of like movies like this or like clockwork uh, that's going to influence you in some negative or like pornographic way. And I just don't feel like that's the case at all. Um, but yeah, uh, your boy Roger Ebert actually gave this a zero star yes, when it came did. out say, yeah. saying it was like vile and like didn't need it was like melodramatic, uh, which maybe it's true. Maybe it is vile and melodramatic. But again, I, it's really not like uh, graphic by any means. If anything, I remember taking a couple friends to see this um, at some like art house screening uh, back in Florida. And when we got out, they were actually kind of disappointed based on my description because it do- it is also more almost more so of a political historical drama uh, than necessarily like a horror movie or like kind of like a graphic violent movie. If anything... Uh, I'll, I'll finish this and I'll, I'll wrap it up and I'll let you say what you're going to say. Um, the movie we're going to be discussing after this is what I expected the devils to be. Yes. And I was going to say the placement of this before that actually prepped me in a way because when I saw the devils, I was like, oh, that was fine. Because a clockwork orange is something that really, really, really bothers me. And I, I mm. deeply like, it has stayed with me for, I saw it too young, but I mean, still that's one mm-hmm. where I'd be like cautionary, but the devil seems, I don't know if it's because it has kind of a Shakespearean vibe to it almost where it kind of like, it, it makes it so that it is more of a drama and it also feels like a parody uh, like the during the orgy scene, so it's like this. It for me, it wasn't really affecting me or moving me at all because it just is either mm-hmm. like really silly or very serious, so, or, mm-hmm. or like outlandish on the other end. It it didn't feel yeah. like it had like a medium that could reach you. If that makes sense. It, it does feel sensationalized. It's definitely a very sensational movie. You know what I mean? So like, I don't, I think it's like right to critique it just being like, yeah, it is kind of like, um, like over the top and stuff like that. Yeah. It just like it again, kind of like referring back to like daughters, daughters is, I guess is like the template I'm using for the precedent for the rest of these is that it balances a lot of like heady subject matter, um, with, uh really like luscious rich visuals and like a strong sense of like aesthetics and uh focuses a lot on like uh either politics or sexuality or like you know the dynamics of power and like how power is like utilized by like aristocratic figures because if you think about like daughters or uh messiah they both have like two like very affluent wealthy characters that like basically exercise their like cultural power as like these like tyrannical assholes you know what i mean like they, like you know main guy and daughters or guy and messiah who's just kind of just like like i think he even says like he's an aristocrat at one point or comes from like an aristocratic family or something 
But yeah, I think uh, that's really my big appeal for all five of these movies is how they tackle all of those themes, but in a way that's just like, you know, visually very compelling too, with a strong sense of atmosphere. I think do not be afraid of seeing the devils. It is, it is fairly tame in our current culture. I think enough of us are jaded to where it would be like, (laughs) this is nothing. This is cool production design and, and kick-ass acting performances so check it out um i have since been recommended a couple more ken russell flicks to check out but i'm gonna take a brief respite till i can gather myself together for and gear up for the next one but uh the devil's is on amazon to rent and directed by ken russell 1971 the last one that we've got on Zach's list is the craziest one. And it is also the one that is the least accessible school of the Holy beast, which he had to email me in order for me to see. So I I, I'm telling you guys to watch this list, but I have no idea how you're going to get your hands on this one. Yeah. Uh, to springboard off of that, this is like already like a film that's considered like kind of rare to begin with. I think it's fairly accessible on like DVD now, like, I think you can get it on Amazon or something. Um, okay, but probably so, like, yeah. no caveat, but probably like a used copy from like some rando dude, not from like a store or anything. But yeah, uh, fun fact, Amy, I actually found uh, a digital copy of this on a porn adjacent website. So that's how I was able to find it and send it to you. I wanted to save that tidbit of knowledge because I thought you'd really appreciate it. Uh, there you go. Appreciate is not great. really the right <laughs> word here. <laughs> Uh, but, um, uh, but I'm glad to uh, have been a part of this process that I that is self uh, uh It is great, though. It's great. This this is also uh, it is it's directed by Suzuki. I want to say it, Nor Norfumi Suzuki. Uh, it is it is uh, in from 1974 when I went to log at went to see what it was called on Letterboxd. It actually isn't called School of the Holy Beast. It was called The Transgressor. And uh, it is in the vein of, for me, with my limited knowledge, it reminded me a lot of Park Chan-wook, Vengeance Trilogy, and this just goes hard. Like, this is like, do you think that any American movie would go as hard as this? You are sorely mistaken. It's it's Japanese, right? So they just are, it's just on another level. Like, I cannot imagine an American film doing what this film does. So just in that regard, I have to say, I do respect it. But Zach, I want to hear from you. What stands out to you the most and why did you pick it? What stands out the most? So when I first heard about this movie, I think I saw clips of it like either online or like on my feed or something. And I was just like, this looks really compelling. I like, I don't know what this is, but it was sequ- uh, it's clips of the sequence when uh, the girl is basically just getting tortured with uh, vines and roses. And it's just like, uh, yeah. Also, yeah florals what up that was literally unplanned i love it um but yeah so i guess um 
the appeal of it for me is one, it's actually pretty damn well written. Like, um, I don't know if I had mentioned this earlier, I kind of forget, but, uh, this is the closest you'll ever get to like a Marquis de Sade novel in like uh, film form because the whole thing is basically just like sequence upon sequence of these characters doing like increasingly outrageous things, uh, with a huge emphasis on like all of like, uh, like the nastiest topics you can think of. Like there's like, uh, like there's like torture, there's like uh suicide, uh, acid baths. I think someone like bleeds and pisses on a cross at some point it is really fucking wild and over the top. But, uh, yeah, it's also shot like really fucking like amazingly. Um, I think the guy who shot this is also the same guy who did a series called female prisoner scorpion, which is sort of comes from a similar like time period. It was like a, a limited span of time in Japan where they were making these films that were like super violent, super sexual, uh, were basically sort of like meant more so to get people in theaters because of the like schlocky outrageousness, but didn't stop like the stories from being able to, um, still hit this like highly stylized, like kind of like, uh, like narrative, uh, it's like, yeah, highly stylized, like narratively interesting films, but also we're still able to include these elements that they were looking for to like appeal to like the exploitation market, I guess. Um, but there's so much about it. That's just like really captivating, like all of like the production designs, like immaculate, like all the cinematography is just like, it's just like gorgeous to look at again, kind of like going back to a heavy emphasis on like religious imagery and like the use of like primary colored lighting uh really strong like sense of like composition uh and really willing to tackle like a like some like dark subject matter and stuff like uh, eventually there's this character that comes to the film without spoiling anything that's sort of like vaguely like Rasputin like and almost seems like a commentary reflection on like that guy and his character uh but yeah it kind of like opens up the whole like kind of like going back to the Lucifer Riser, uh, Lucifer rising thing, like an examination of just how, like how cults form, because it's really interesting because it'll intercut from this sort of like convent environment to like seventies, like party scene, Japan, it, the intercuts don't happen that often. It's very limited, but you kind of get to see like, damn, like, like the multiplicity of like experiences or like, just like the very different world experiences. Like these characters are living. that are just so night and day. Like, these characters are, like, going out at night, like, partying, living, like, sort of, like, the cosmopolitan lifestyle. And then, meanwhile, like, assume, like, presumably, like, somewhere not too far, uh, there's, like, a convent going on with, like, locked doors where girls are, like, asked to, like, cover themselves and, like, feel shameful about themselves and, like, to basically kind of, like, uh rise through the ranks until they reach this level of like nun purity or something where they can eventually wear like white robes and have basically like forfeited their own individuality for the sake of this like collective cause or group, I think is like really compelling and interesting. I think at one point the, uh, the Rasputin looking dude, uh, without spoiling like his like predominant role in the film, uh, even says this is like, Oh, well, um, you, I can talk to God, but you can't. Like, I know you just said you had this, like, mystical vision. You want to tell me about it. But I'm going to stop you right there because uh, he talks to me and I translate it for you. And it just feels like uh, there's something, like, really strong and powerful there. And I think it's this, like, appeal of feeling like you're this sort of, like, a like prophetic figure 
it's like it's like um it's like the whole like a uh, power complex thing but you're religious so you can't like express that on like an outer level but like by repressing it it kind of like reveals itself in other ways so you, it's like it's that game of like who's the most humble almost in like religious communities but like in this film it's a lot more outright just being like oh no i have like i'm like divinely ordained to be like above you kind of thing and i think that's what he's mostly going after and kind of exposing like the level of like corruption that these like figures hold within these sort of communities um like thinking of like the head nun i think the vice abbess or something like you can kind of tell the reason she's even like lashing out all these other girls to begin with is because she's so much further down the road or along the like down the line of where this type of thinking takes you which is kind of just like extreme repression extreme kind of like fanaticism and it almost feels like she's lashing at the girls that do like sin or fall short and like whipping them or torturing them or ordering girls to whip and torture the other girls as a way of kind of just like um uh almost kind of like uh i don't know she just like becomes this like uh like not to use the paraphrase of the alternative title but yeah sort of a transgressive fiction transgressive uh figure in the sense where it's just like oh like i have all of these desires but i can't admit it so i'm going to project it onto you and scapegoat you and then kind of just like make you all fight and torture each other if that makes sense yes and this is uh unfortunately something that happens a lot in, in christianity especially or in the at least in america in the church where you know you you have preachers who appear to be following what they're saying. And then it turns out that they're doing the thing that they're condemning, that they, that they're actively engaged in an activity that they're saying is wrong and that they're preaching Mm -hmm. against. So again, it's hypocrisy, but it's in, in school of the Holy beast, the hypocrisy hits differently than it would for just a straight drama, just because everything is so in, it's not just intense. It's like gross. There's, there's a lot mm-hmm. that's like just, just disgusting and you just don't want to watch it. I mean, I understand mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like, uh, there's a line that she says, the lead says where she's like, lesbians don't shock anyone. Something like that, where she's like, this isn't shocking behavior. So I'm talking about like the torture scenes and, and just like, the craziness to do it in mm-hmm. a sanctuary. The soft core part is like the least concerning, not concerning, but that's the least on this radar. It didn't, I hardly mm-hmm. even registered it comparatively because mm-hmm. there's just so much, so much intense stuff going on. And so if you, if you like old boy and you like that kind of like balls to the wall, you know, while also being somewhat stylish, stylishly minded and geared, I think that that this will work, but you gotta be, you gotta have the stomach for it though. Yeah. I would say like, I feel like the devils is like a relatively known title in some circles, at least like it with like cinephile types. So I would say like, if you enjoy the devils or if you thought like that level of extremity was like well done or like well executed, this almost feels like a rougher around the edges, more metal, more like sincerely like spiteful version of the devils. Like the devils kind of still feels like this like Shakespearean historical drama 
Whereas this feels kind of just like a, a depiction of like depravity and like characters uh, trying to navigate that landscape. And uh, without spoiling anything, in some sense, a really damn good revenge movie too. Yeah, that's why I thought of Old Boy. But yes, it it is very, um, I, I can't even say, yeah, I, I wouldn't even say what it is. Just you have to see it to know what we're talking about. And this one is brutal. So mm. prepare yourself. And I hope that, <laughs> I hope that whoever actually seeks this movie out will find a really good copy. As I am starting the tradition of ending each episode with inside the actor studios, James Lipson's questions in mind as inspiration. I have five movie questions that I'll be asking all of my guests to answer. I do not know what Zach's responses are going to be. So these reactions are in real time. Um, my first question to you, Zach, is what is the most underrated movie? I don't know if it's the most underrated, like the most, but uh, I saw that you had spoken about this previously, but Duck You Sucker is a disgusting disgustingly underrated movie and might even be my favorite Sergio Leone movie to be honest oh my gosh (laughs) my my mind just exploded I threw you a curveball we're talking about like transgressive horror but uh, (laughs) duck you sucker duck you sucker you know what I want to say that when I first read that title I thought that a character's name was Duck. Brilliant. No, no, no. I thought, no, it's just brilliant. I thought there was a character <laughs> named Duck. Like, Duck, you sucker. But this is actually saying, like, uh, like Duck for cover, you dumbass. That was literally, right. like, the, um, the literal translation in, from the Italian. Phenomenal. Was Duck, you Pretty dumbass. Phenomenal. So, uh, <laughs> wow. Zach, that is out of left field. And... I thought you were going to say- I like to keep it spicy. I thought you were going to say one that I had never heard of. So kudos. I've seen it. I've seen your most underrated film. It's pretty cool. <sighs> I'm Just real, 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 real brief. That movie is like two and a half hours long, but it flies by so quick. Uh, and the yeah. score is amazing. The score is fantastic. But you can't- Sean, Sean. You can't, you can't <laughs> go wrong with Leon and Morricone. Morcone? How do you even yeah, say Yeah, Morcone. Morcone. Uh, I, I say Morcone, but then I feel like I'm, uh, that I'm, since I'm saying it. Let him correct you. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I need to have an accent to say it properly. <laughs> Morcone. Morcone. No, no. Anicio. Nah, not at all. Anicio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're moving on. Number two, what is your happiest movie experience? I feel like the most the the most impactful like if you're saying happiest was like when i was really young i was like 12 or 13 i remember watching like pan's labyrinth for the first time and that kind of like really kind of uh like had a major huge impact on me because at first like i think i just like watched movies like anybody else like oh haha movies are fun movies are fun and uh i remember like my mom would take me to like blockbuster and i remember i had like seen the cover for pan's labyrinth and i just kept begging for her to rent it for me but it was R. So she's like, oh no, we can't watch it. We can't watch it. And eventually I think I just like wore her out and she was just like, fine, whatever, just fine. And I, I watched it by myself 
And I just remember sitting in my room, like after the movie had finished and I was just thinking, wow, that was just like legitimately beautiful. Like even like being like really young and like growing up in like the South and like, kind of like, I don't know, not really having access or having seen anything like that before. I was just kind of like, damn, like I just really appreciated like the beauty and the grandiosity and the magnificence of it. But also like how I was able to balance that with like this like like sense of like darkness too, but darkness in like a really beautiful sense, like uh like the fawn or whatever from Pan. Mm-hmm. Like uh if I were to ever get a tattoo, I don't. I don't have an interest in getting tattoos, to be honest with you. But if I ever were to get one, the one I thought about when I was really young was getting like a half sleeve of like the fawn from Pan's Labyrinth. Cause I just liked the ideas like that character represented, I guess, and just kind of like being on the walking line between reality and dreams and like having access to like the sort of like ethereal, like majestic kingdom thing, but also just trying to like showcasing like the horrors of like humanity and like humanity is kind of capable of like both uh, ends of that spectrum of just like shimmering, like perfection and like holiness, but also total depravity. Uh, I guess it's just the extremities being interested in fringe and extremities I think my interest in those topics is sort of birthed with that movie. So. Excellent answer. Not what I expected with, with the word happy, but an excellent answer nonetheless. <laughs> uh, three, what is a movie that you changed your opinion on? This, I had to think about for a while, because I feel like if I go to a movie, I usually feel pretty confident in my positions, like on how I feel about it when I come out. Like, it's very rare I'll go into something being like, oh, I didn't get that. What was that? Because I'll usually try to, like, sit on it and chew on it if I feel like it's challenging me in some way. And I feel like a film, if a film is challenging you on some level, then, like, it should, it's doing something right. It's like when I changed my mind where I like it more so than I used to. Um, I guess I would have to go with... Um, I used to, I feel like I used to shit on James Cameron a lot when I was younger. Uh, but really, Terminator, both Terminator 1 and 2 are actually pretty fun movies. I just watched like, you know Terminator I mean? it's, 2. It's, it's kind of, oh, did you really? I, you go to my letterbox <laughs> t- right now, it's there. Like, I, I just, oh, it's, okay. I just, okay. I just saw it for the first time. I think, I think the first two Terminators are actually pretty damn good. And uh, just like really good, like examples of like blockbuster filmmaking done right, where it's just like a fun time, but it is, it can, it can be deeper if you want it to be. Uh, I'm not, I can't say I'm like really like excited to go see Avatar or anything like that. But um, James Cameron actually posted like a masterclass, um, maybe about like a half a year ago or so. And I watched it and it was all about him describing his process of making the first Terminator and how he did kind of had the odds going against him even making something like that. And if you watch the first Terminator, there is kind of a lot of stuff that's like seems dated or the effects don't like translate as well to T2, which feels like it has like a much higher like blockbuster budget. But yeah. uh, the guy was still making like some like decently compelling sci-fi at the time. And uh, I think it's like kind of like painting with a broad brush to totally dismiss him on stuff like Titanic or Avatar. Uh, when I feel like, I don't know, granted, I wish he had, like pursued movies more so like his older stuff but uh then no, no there's something to be said for him for sure so interesting interesting answer okay uh two who is an actor you find undeniably sexy uh so i have two answers for this uh my biggest celebrity crush when i was young and continues to this day was ali sheedy in the breakfast club oh, like that's just that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know. I know. That's just like such a, like a weird go-to one too. That's so like obnoxious, but no. uh, I don't know. No. Just like the very intense, like broody. I love war games. And I just rewatched that. And my friend Joel was like, oh, well now I'm in love with Ali Sheedy. So thanks. And I was like, yeah, Ali Sheedy. Ali Sheedy. Winona Ryder. Uh, I would probably make out with Zachary Quinno. <laughs> make out with you, Zach. Like not even because we share a name, but it's just like I don't know. I probably just would. So there you go. There's like a good three. That would. So. That's probably a better phrase question instead of sexy. It's like who would you make out with? What what actor <laughs> would you make out with? Okay. There you go. And I gave you three. You gave me so. three. Bonus round. Number. Uh, last question is. Uh, if you were to die and come back as a movie character, who would you choose? I'm going to throw you another curveball and say Batman. <laughs> it, and why not? It, like it, <laughs> Batman in, in what? In which? Uh, you have to specify that one. You can't just come. I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll go with the Robert Pattinson one. Why not? Wow. I'm, my, you got a bunch of money. My brain. You're you're hooking up with uh what's your face? Zoe Kavitz is a cat woman. Mm-hmm. Uh you're just kind of living a badass day-to-day life. I don't know. I feel like I could have gone the pretentious way, just been like, oh, I want to be some side character in this movie. But yeah. I don't know. I'm gonna switch it up a little bit and go with like something that's like popular and well known. I just feel like, you know, who doesn't want to be Batman? My yeah. first thought <laughs> literally was the animated series. Of Batman, so that's where my oh Kevin Conroy, yes, yeah, that's where my brain went, it, it, which is odd. I was like, you want to be an, an animation, like you want to be anime? <laughs> so yes, this is much cooler and topical, current makes sense. Uh, he is gonna come back, so you can just live vicariously through Pat, our Pats. I I like. I like too many feel bad movies for me to want to be a character in a movie I like. <laughs> and with that, uh, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Watch This List. Zach Anderson, love you. Glad that you were here with us. And bless up. Uh, we will have Zach back for more torture and movie selections that I will be forced to watch that I otherwise wouldn't. Thank you, Zach, for being with me today. See you at the movies.